Omajina Trimanandasya, Jinajina Sarakaya, Chakshun Melitanyena, Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha. Vajkaptu Bischa, Kripistan Bevacha, Petitanam Pabane Bio Vaishnavijinamonamaha. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Nasta Priyeshu Abhiyeshu Nicham Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavachutama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Naistiki Good evening. Thank you for coming. We'll begin this evening by chanting a uh, verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam by Sutta Goswami from the second chapter of the first canto. Vedanti tatatva vidas Vedanti tatatva vidas Tatvam yas janamadvayam Rameti paramatmeti Bhagavaniti sabdhyati Learn transcendentalists who know the absolute truth. Call this non-dual substance Brahman, Paramatma, Bhagavan. So this evening we'll continue with our discussions on the Tattva Sandarbha, discussing Anucheda 51, which deals specifically with this verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam, giving us a little deeper understanding, an understanding of what this non-dual reality actually is. So I'll read Srila Jiva Goswami's Anucheda in English. And then we'll uh, have some little bit of discussion on that. The absolute reality is non-dual consciousness. Non-dual consciousness. So what does this mean? And that non-dual consciousness is Gyanamadvayam. What is the nature of this substantive Vastu, which is the absolute reality, Tattva? This is disclosed in the following statement. All those who have realized absolute reality, tattva, refer to that reality as non-dual consciousness, advaya jnana. So this verse is basically saying that of all those who have actually realized, they've had a, a revelation into the nature of reality, the absolute reality, the perfect reality, they come away from that revelation with a similar understanding based on their approach to spirituality which is coming from different schools of thought. So the verse speaks to that. Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan Iti Subjate. They're all perceiving that absolute reality, that Tattvam Advayam. But they do perceive it differently. So what's the nature of that substantive, that Tattva, that reality of existence? Here the word jnana indicates that the absolute is purely of the nature of consciousness. So the first thing is when we look to this jnana, 
that's referred to in this verse as the absolute reality, what is its nature? Its nature is conscious. It is aware. It has a cognitive position itself. It's purely of the nature of consciousness. Additionally, the non-dual nature of this reality, the non-dual nature of this consciousness, is established on the following grounds. So they say it's non-dual. So what's, what do they mean when they say this transcendent consciousness is non-dual? One, there is no other reality, tattva, either similar or dissimilar, that is self-existent. So this is one of the characteristics when we say non-dual reality, non-dual tattva, what does it mean? Well, the first thing is it exists of its own accord. There is no source for that consciousness. It is ever-existing. You will not be able to trace out a source for this absolute consciousness. Two, the non-dual absolute is supported only by its own inherent potencies. There's no outside influence. So there's no source. We cannot trace out a source. It's ever existing. We call that eternal. It's always been a naughty. Never a time it was not. So there's never a time it was not. And it's not dependent on anything else. So that's two characteristics of this non-dual status. And the third is, these potencies can have no existence without it as their absolute foundation. All, everything else in existence is dependent on this non-dual absolute reality. When we say non-dual, these are the three characteristics. It's ever-existing, it's eternal, has no beginning, a naughty. It, you cannot, it is not dependent on anything else, and everything else is dependent on it. It's not dependent on anything, but everything else that we experience is dependent on it. That is this Yanamadvayam. The term tattva implying here that the ultimate good of all that may be attained by human beings makes it apparent that this tattva or absolute reality is the embodiment of supreme bliss and is therefore also eternal. Sri Sutta spoke the verse under discussion. The term tattva implying here the ultimate good of all that may be attained by human beings makes it apparent that this tattva or absolute reality is the embodiment of supreme bliss 
and is therefore also eternal. Vananti tat tat vavidas tatvamyaj janam avvayam brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabyate The absolute reality is non-dual, advayam, one without a second. There can only be one. If there's more than one absolute, then then one of them is an absolute. One of them's dependent on the other. Uh, a second would nullify the absoluteness of the first. If they were both e both equally absolute, then there would be a competition. So again, Jiva plays out everything. When we talk, when he says absolute, what do, what do we mean? We mean just this. There's no competition. There's only one and. If there's two absolutes and they're in full agreement, then in essence they're one absolute. We can get into some more subtle understanding of the nature of the absolute and say, well, maybe the absolute is two. We kind of see that, but that's for another time and another discussion. So in effect, they're only one because there's only one purpose. That the absolute reality is non-dual does not mean that nothing else exists. It's important for us to understand. When we say non-dual, does that mean that's it? We're all one. Wait, we just went through a huge discussion of we're not all one. You are not God. God is not you. You are not a reflection, nor does your material embodiment, when you're removed from it, merge you into that one absolute. So, jnanam advayam does not mean that that there cannot be distinctions. But there is some very distinct understandings we have to have grasp of to understand properly the term non-dual. So let's go into those. Rather, absolute reality is self-existence grounded in itself and has no external support. Nothing else can exist independently of this non-dual reality. So self-existent, it is its own foundation. That's part of when we say non-dual. So let's look at Vedantic logic when it comes to this term non-dual in relationship to what is dual. So there's three different kinds of difference in Vedantic thought. First difference is of objects that are in the same class. You could have one chair and you could have another chair. The one chair is distinct from the other. That is a specific kind of beta difference. Sanjatiya beta. Difference of objects that are in the same class. We have two cows. They're different. But they're still cows. So that's one kind of difference. Beta. Same class of object. Among an object in a different class is another difference, according to Vedic logic. 
a table and a chair. One's a table, one's a chair. So that is called Vijatiya Veda. They're distinctly different. The others are, well, they're still both chairs. And the third is between an object and its parts. We can take a chair and it functions in a chair and it is a chair, logically it's a chair as long as it's used in that capacity. But if you take all the parts away from it, you dissemble it, then you have a pile of parts. They don't even look like a chair anymore. They're referred to Swagata Veda. This is Vedic logic, three different kinds of differences. All right, well, when we talk about non-duality, let's see if any of the things that you would think would be non-dual in the absolute fall into any of these categories. These three differences give rise to duality observed in the material world. This is what we observe, these kind of differences, this kind of beta. So let's look at the third one, swagata beta, a difference between an, an object and its parts. Can we apply this to the absolute? Is Krishna different from his parts? Both are fully potent and they're both, they're all interchangeable. That's a characteristic of his senses. And they're all non-different from him. For us in the material realm, our hand is different from ourself. You can get a knife and you can cut my hand off. And it's, it's not me. You can't cut Krishna's hand off. He's, there's no, nothing material there to, to cleave. So there's no distinction as far as himself and what you would say are his different parts. They're all of the same nature. In fact, his nature, his Swarup Shakti is so much of himself, it's hard to even see a difference between himself and his manifestations in Vaikuntha. And still they're not different in the ontological sense. Sri Krishna's body and limbs are fully conscious and fully potent and fully interchangeable and they're not different from his very self. So therefore, Swagata Beta does not apply to him. This is Jiva's explanation. When the original Supreme Lord, Swayam Bhagavan, expands into forms like Balaram and Ramachandra, these swamsa, self-same, what the word swamsa means, self-same expansions, remain non-different. He is not dependent upon them, but they are dependent upon him. They are the same spiritual substance. I know there's certain qualities that do not manifest in these swamsa expansions, but still they are himself. They are Krishna. You can't say they are not. They are. It's just all the qualities are not manifest, especially in his swamsa, except for Balaram. Balaram is just Krishna in a different color. Different color. Yes.
little different character, but this is this is again the points that are being made. One might think that material nature is in a different class. So we're talking about now we're talking about the Lord and his potencies. So we'd certainly say, well, there's the supreme absolute, this non-dual substantive reality. And here's his material energy. So there's a difference there. So there we have beta. No, we don't. Because can we really separate a potency from its source, from the potent? It has no existence without the potent. The sun and the sun's rays and the heat of the sun are all of the nature of the sun globe. You can't really separate them. They're not separate separate because the one exists dependent, fully dependent on the other. Similarly, the external energy of the Lord, this material world, it's his potency. It cannot exist independent of him. This is the, the, the finity, the clarity of this term, Advayam, non-dual. The living entity, how do we view him in relationship to this non-duality? He can be viewed in two ways. He's in the same class as Bhagavan. In what way? We're both conscious. Ourselves and God are that way. We're both conscious. And in fact, kind of going down that road now where Jiva Goswami is explaining from an intrinsic way how we can view this knowledge, this revelation of Srila Vyasadeva in relationship to ourself. How, do we, how can we see it in that way and fully understand it, fully comprehend what it means to have that revelation that Srila Vyasadeva had. And then, as we go forward in these Anuchetas, in this last half of Tatmas and Dharva, then he's going to deal with how can we see God in ourself? We're reviewing that now. How can we see God in the cosmic manifestation? We're of the same nature of the Supreme because we're both conscious. So in that way, we're the same. But you would say that we're in a different class than Bhagavan. In what way? Infinitesimal and because we're infinitesimal, how much potency do we have? We have little, teeny, maybe up to the... Hiranyakasi Poo got a lot of powers. And he was referred to in the Bhagavatam as what? A wasp. Maybe up to a wasp. He didn't make it up to a Brahma. But he was certainly very powerful within the material realm. He performed tremendous austerity. No one before or after has done the level of austerity that Hiranyakasipu did. The yogic discipline he took on in order to become immortal, in order to become 
Lord of the universe. He wanted to be Lord of the universe. And he went to the Lord of the universe and he made a deal. He had performed so much austerity that he had gained so much power that he thought he could dictate to the Lord of the universe. The Lord of the universe had a discussion. I don't want to be killed by any weapon. I don't want to be killed by a human. I don't want to be killed by an animal during the day, during the night. I don't want to be killed inside or outside. Yeah, where's it end? He just went down the list. <laughs> well, it looks like I'm immortal now. I got them all covered. Well, maybe not. He didn't take into consideration one, one specific entity. When we look to the Jivatma, it's a Shakti of that supreme Advayam, Jnanam. It's an energy. It's the same consciousness but it's not dual it's it, it looks dual but then again it's not dual because it's of the same nature consciousness and it's fully dependent upon it's, it's a shakti of the supreme Sri Bhagavan's energies serve him in various ways they have no existence separate from him these energies are part of his intrinsic nature and have no independent existence. So it goes on to explain, in this word, yan, which normally means knowledge, means consciousness. When we look, jnanam advayam, consciousness that is what? It's non-dual. In three ways, the first way being it's eternal. You cannot trace out a place where a time, a creating, it wasn't created. It's non-dual in that sense. It's ever-existing. It's non-dual in a second sense. It's not dependent on anything. And third, everything else is dependent on it. It's a deeper understanding. So when we hear this verse, we... We can enter into that. Yes, this means when we hear non-dual, we mean the Supreme has these characteristics. There's no source to the Supreme. He's not dependent on anything else. On anything else. Fully, absolutely, positively, beyond a shadow of a doubt, he doesn't need any other energy. He's the source of everything. He's the beginning of everything. And everything that we see in existence is a manifestation of his potency, including ourself. We are all dependent upon him. Some other aspects of this verse, just to put it in perspective, Vedanti Tat Tat Vavidas, Lord Transcendentalist, so Vedanti Tat Tat Vavidas, when they seek out the absolute truth, they all come to this revelation, Gyanamadvayam, conscious non-duality. That's its nature. But they perceive its nature, conscious non-duality, differently according to their approach. Brahmeti, Paramatmeti, Bhagavaniti Sabjate. 
all three of these schools of Vedantic thought with these different objectives are acceptable. Of course, we decry any school that's not for Bhagavaniti Subjate. We say, wow, why do you... You can have everything and, and what? You just want this this incomplete understanding. But they're all complete in and of themselves. They all have their their own schools and their own schools of thought, but they all agree, as all of them are Vedantic schools of thought and rely upon the Vedas, they all agree of this jnanam advayam, this non-dual awareness. Of course, our, our school, the Vaishnav school, goes into a much deeper revelation regarding that non-dual consciousness. More than just Brahman, that spiritual energy that pervades everything. More than that creative potency that manifests everything into that supreme entity who can relate to fully, absolutely with all of his energies. Bhagavaniti Sabjate. And that to have that recognition of the energies of the Supreme, uh, wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation, Bhagavaniti Sabjate, all these characteristics, and those are just a gross characterization. You can't Sesha Nag, a manifestation of the Lord Himself. You cannot, I cannot come to an end of the glories of the Supreme Lord. This is His nature. The conscious nature of that Supreme Absolute, we cannot come to, a, to an end, an ending. It doesn't end. So that's the nature of that consciousness. If you have any questions, let's address those. What about like the Madhvacharya, the TC, Advaita and Tattva? Yeah. Uh, there's a nice book that you can read, very short little booklet by uh, uh, the Sringaswami, Evolution of Theism. Uh, and he gives a nice way that we can look at how this theism has evolved since the time of, of Buddha, really. Because Buddha wiped the slate clean. He really wiped away Vedic thought because it was just so garbled up with sacrifices and, and material agendas, material... The, the, the spirituality had been taken out of the Vedas by humanity. So, well, let's let's get a little spiritual back spirituality back in humanity. We have to start. Let's start out somewhere. Let's start with, uh, you know, a little bit of, uh, of uh, compassion, a little bit of mercy for you, for the living entities. Ahimsa was his basic premise, but. Uh, 
that book gives you some insight into how the how the uh, how the theistic concepts were gradually introduced from Sankaracharya. First you have Buddha, then you have Sankaracharya, who kind of like, okay, cool, we can go with that Buddhism. I can interpret the Vedas, because Krishna, Krishna gave me a, you know, a free ride to do that. He said, go ahead and do that, make it up as you go along. And I can kind of, you know, make it up as I go along. I can pull things out of the Vedas so that they correspond with the with the uh, theology of the Buddhists, their their vision of spirituality, and and uh, merging into nirvana, and you know, I I can do that. So he pulls that rabbit out of his hat, and all of a sudden they're looking to the Vedas for their direction. Oh, ooh, yes, Tatvamasi, I am it. Ahambramasmi, I'm spirit soul. So that's a little better than I'm nothing. And my objective is to merge into nothing. And the perfection is to end consciousness and end everything and be nothing. So that's their, you know, the Buddhist school uh, kind of merged into the Vedic school then, with Sankaracharya. And there still are, to some extent, some of the different schools of. Buddhism. But then you have, uh, you know, Ramanujacharya saying, well, let's go a little deeper than that. When we look at the Vedas, let's look deeper to what is, there ha we have to take into consideration all the different energies. So if we take into consideration all the different energies of this, this, this spiritual substance, then there has to be some consciousness there. And then we come to Madhvacharya and gradually up to the time coming up to to Sriman Mahaprabhu and uh, Chinta Beta Beta Tattva and the, the full deeper understanding but also what what we discussed in the last class something never discussed before that fifth objective what do we do after liberation? What then? And that's where Sri Chaitanya takes off. That's where Gaudiya Vaishnavism comes into its own. There is something beyond Artha, Dharma, Karma, Moksha. Something deeper than that. And that is Prem. What's that about? This Prem Bhakti is the Namo Mahaparanaya Krishna Prema Pradayate. So, this is Lord Chaitanya's special gift. Does that answer your question? Anything else? Just a question that if, why does the supreme reality, like that effulgence of like the sun, the rays, that that, and we are dependent on that as part and, and parcel. Like, why does, you know, why is it tricky? Silly question in some ways, but to explore why we're created then. Like, why is it that, you know, this non-dual consciousness, mm -hmm. you know, creates, 
you know, these um, Why does he expand himself expand and into all these all energies? And like, one of these energies, like right, one of these energies is, is a consciousness that's apparently separate from himself. We come to the nature of the Supreme, and the nature of Supreme is Ananda. That's one of his characteristics, Satchitananda. So when you look to, to that nature of the Supreme, that Ananda is fully apprehended in relationship. So it's the joy, it's the play of consciousness. It's the play of consciousness, and it's the, uh, the exchange of praying, of loving relationship with that Supreme, which, which, is, which is part of his nature. You cannot separate Ananda from him. Now we get into some technical things and understanding. We have very much, our nature is to look at things according to the nature that we're in. So we're in material nature, so when we look to, we use words like creation. Actually, the more we enter into spirituality, we understand it's a manifestation. We look to the words like, when we say creation, we look at a point in time when it was created. But the more we enter into spiritual understanding, we use words like an, an ending cycle of creation, maintenance, and devastation. All of a sudden, we're starting to look, into, look at two things, as that's what Jiva's teaching us in these Sandarbhas. He said the Srimad Bhagavatam is the, is the central hub around which the deepest understanding of the Supreme Lord and ourselves can be obtained. And Tattva Sandarbha and these other Sandarbhas, they teach us how do we draw out the very essence of this literature so that we can learn these truths and see with spiritual vision, with Shastric vision, where we understand the living entity didn't have a beginning point. The Lord has always wanted to exchange pleasure with himself. It's, Ananda is part of his nature. And that the, the universe is manifested again and again, but it's a manifestation. It comes out from the Lord, it goes back into the Lord, but it doesn't change him at all. He's still of the same nature. Does that answer your question? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna.